This morning we have a new record, a new record. Can anybody look at your outline and tell me how many, how many pages are here? This is a new record. And you know, I don't know if this isn't a record for the history of the church, and I don't mean just our church, I mean the church of the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. Um, and some of you are thinking, oh my, what did we get ourselves into? We're going to be here till uh, this evening. Well, I was thinking tomorrow morning, but um, do you need encouragement? I need encouragement. And one of the greatest things that we can have in encouragement is to look at God's Word. And one of the greatest ways that we can have encouragement is to be a part of a church who loves God's Word. You know, the Bible tells us that we are not to forsake, listen to this, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That means don't neglect coming to church. And then it says after that, that you may what? Encourage one another. That's what that scripture says. It doesn't say don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together so that you can come sing or so that you can come pray or even so that you can come hear the preaching of God's word. It says so that you will not miss the encouragement of one another. Now we're encouraged when we do all of those things and we're encouraged when we are together, but being together in the name of Christ is one of the greatest ways that we are encouraged. And it's very encouraging when God's people come together in the way that God has told us to come together in our church. Now, church needs to be healthy for that to be happening on a regular basis. So look at your front page there. And as we look at the front page, this morning what we're going to be looking at, and we've kind of entitled this, It's Your Serve. This is part of our emphasis of training with our deacons and our elders, that it's your serve. You know, you, you have, some of you have played tennis. Some of you have pray, played volleyball. Some of you have played various other sports that require a serve. And... Um, uh, We've been called to serve one another. We've been called to start in this. Um, and we've been called to set up the work of the ministry. And that's part of what we look at in the life of the church. So this morning we're going to spend some time and we're going to look at the biblical role, the biblical role of pastors and elders and deacons at Sheridan Hills. Now, many churches are not very encouraging. There's a lot of churches that are really just steeped in cultural Christianity. It's more of a ritual. You show up and you come and you do your thing. And then you leave. And it's more of a religious activity than it is a relational activity. There's many churches that are not very encouraging in that way. There's some churches that are chasing the culture. You come into the church and it looks rather like the world. The message isn't so very different. It's let's be emotional, let's, let's just kind of really want to feel differently. It's all about feelings. It's not, it's not necessarily about faithfulness. It's not necessarily about growing in knowledge of who God is and what He's done. It has to do, and it's played off of a feeling. Well, a church that is truly biblical is a church that is going to look at what the Bible says of how to be structured and how to operate. And when you're in a church that does what the Bible says and preaches the message of the Bible, and listen to this, 
practices the message of the Bible, your heart is going to be encouraged. Now, your toes will be stepped on sometimes. What do we mean by that? That means you're going to be convicted about things. There's going to be things that God's Holy Spirit says, no longer, no more. That's not right. I have something different for you. I'm calling you to a higher place. I'm calling you to an upward path of my holiness and my goodness. I'm getting you ready for heaven. That's, that's what a church should be bringing you along with. Well, a church that does what God's Word says is a church that is going to be faithfully encouraging to you. Now, sometimes there's not only a problem with uh, the way a church is structured, but sometimes it has the wrong leaders. And we're going to look at that this morning. We've looked at many times, we've looked at the book of James, we've looked at uh, the book of Jude, we've looked at Hosea, we've looked at Micah, where wrong leaders come into God's people. And wrong leaders distract God's people or come and distress God's people, that come and manipulate God's people. And so we want to we recognize what God's Word says about leadership and who should be leading and who should be serving. So a church with the right mindset and the right structures will be healthy and a church that is healthy will be encouraging. So we look at this on this front page, good. Page one is down. Now we come over to page two. Are you ready? Um, I want us to fly this morning through looking through what is the, what does the Bible really say about pastors and, and um, teachers, um, leaders, elders, as well as deacons. So what does the Bible really say about this? Warm up your pen. We're going to fly, and uh, let's enjoy it. First of all, what does the Bible say about it? Number one, there's two church offices revealed in Scripture. And if you're new to the church, this is going to be so helpful to you. You can understand how is the church structured this morning. Number one, there's the office of pastors. That's most, that's most commonly the way we refer to that in Baptist life. Pastors or elders or bishops or overseers. We're going to see that all four of those words are used to describe the same, pre, the same people. And we also have the office of deacons. Deacons, well, they, they just have one term, praise the Lord. We don't have to deal with four. Um, but they have one term, and it's a, it's a very powerful term as we're going to see. So let's start off with the issue of pastor, elders, bishops, or overseers um, at this first part. So the first bullet point that you see there is that the terms pastor, elder, bishop, overseer are used, write it in, interchangeably in the Bible for this role. These three terms all refer to the, fill it in, same person, the, the same position in the church. Fill that in. These were referring to the very same position in the life of the church. You see, our, outs, our understanding of biblical terms is often clouded by the contemporary use of the noun pastor, and it's clouded by unbiblical denominational structures. Do, have you sometimes seen denominations that have, well, wait a minute, he's a, they may call it a priest, like say in Roman Catholicism or Anglican 
or um, in Episcopal life, they might call it a priest, but then above the priest, there's perhaps a bishop, and above the bishop, there's perhaps a cardinal. So there's, there's this great hierarchy that would go outside the local church, that there would be somebody over the church from another area, maybe an area of a city or maybe the area of a country. Well, that's what I'm referring to here. Baptists rightly believe in the local autonomy or that self-governance of the church. And so when we read these passages, we believe it's very, very clear that bishop, overseer, elder, pastor are really one role in the local church. It's not a hierarchy outside of the local church. So that's what we mean by that third bullet point. Look at the fourth bullet point. In the Bible, the term pastor is used only in one instance, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now, it has other forms that is used there, but specifically, pastor is only used once. The Bible ultimate, or usually refers to this office by using the terms elder, and we've included the Greek word. So if there's some words here that you've never seen before, this is a Greek um, rendition of that word. The Bible typically uses elder or overseer. So as you're learning to read the Bible, as you're growing in your understanding of the New Testament, when you see the word overseer, when you see the word elder, when you see some of the others being called together, understand that that's talking about the role that we understand here in what we call the pastor. So let's look at the first one here in references to pastor. Now there are several mentions of this, but only one verse that specifically says it. So the references to pastor or poimen, can you say that together? Let's say the Greek word together, poimen, say that. Poimen, that's poimen. So that means pastor. Well, letter A is most important here. The word pastor or poimen literally means shepherd. So this is one who watches over sheep. This is the one who has, a it's an agricultural term. So it's shepherd. Look at letter B. Ephesians 4.11 is the only place in the Bible where the word pastor is used. It treats pastors and teachers as one group and thus suggests that the chief role of the pastor is, let's read it out loud together, the chief role of the pastor is what? Feeding the flock through teaching people God's word. That's the chief role of the pastor. This is what he does. He feeds the flock. A role clearly assigned to bishops and overseers as well in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the elders in Titus chapter 1. So you start to see that they're, they're being used interchangeably. Those, those other terms are also told to do that. Look at letter C. Acts 20, 28, the elders of Ephesus are encouraged in their pastoral task. What does pastor mean? Shepherd. So this is in their shepherding task. That is, in their shepherding task, thus showing that Paul saw the elders as the shepherds or pastors. So I want you to see that this comes together very, very seamlessly where these terms are referring to the same role. Look at verse 28 there in Acts 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the what? It doesn't say army. So you're not, you know, we're not called sergeants, we're not called generals, we're not called that. It, it doesn't say workers, so we're not called boss or master. What it says is pay careful attention to, to yourselves and to what? All the flock 
That's, a past, that's that pastoral term, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there's that word overseers. We're going to see that in just a minute. To what? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Look at letter D. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. Letter D. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. The elders are told to tend the flock. So here again, the elders are told this, not the poimen, not the pastors, but the elders, same group of people, are told to tend the flock in their charge. In other words, Peter saw the elders essentially as pastors or shepherds. Now let's look at the other word that we use for this office. Number two, references to elders. So fill that in, references to elders. These are the presbyteros. Can we say that loud, out loud together? I'm going to say it again and then you say it. Presbyteros. What do you hear in presbyteros? Do you hear, how about presbyterian, right? We, we, that's, that's part of where we see the presbytery is where the, that would come from, the, a whole denomination being named after that. And they tend to not so much call their pastors pastors, but they tend to call them elders. No problem with that. But notice here with me, the elders. And these, these passages that are right here in front of you show how much the term elder is used. Look at 1420, Acts 14.23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Acts 20.17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So Paul was calling the elders to get together and calling them to come and meet him. Look at 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in what? Preaching and teaching. So they, as we're going to see in just a moment, they rule and they preach and they teach. Look at Titus 1.5. This is why I left you in Crete that you might amend that which was defective and what? Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul is, is telling Titus, go, you remember that when we studied Titus? Go clean up the mess of all the wrong leaders in those churches. Um, Titus was a beautiful book for our church to study. So much there that was so rich. But we see that Titus, that Paul sends a powerful older leader to go straighten out a whole island of churches that were very messed up. And so that's where we see he's saying, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective, all of the wrong things that they had in their churches, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Look at James 5, 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Look at 1 Peter 5, 1. So I exhort the what? The elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as, as well as a partaker in the glory to be revealed. So this picture of elders is being used a lot. Now for the third one. And we do see this one in the New Testament quite a bit as well. It's referring to the overseers or the bishops. And this is the episkopos. Episkopos. Can you say episkopos out loud with me? Say it. Episkopos. What do we hear from that? Episcopal. Right. And so we, we, we see how these play in and how different denominations have, have perhaps segmented 
their main nomenclature for the pastors that they have. Look at letter A. When we compare Titus 1.5 with 1.7, we observe that the terms bishop or overseer and elder are what? Interchangeably used. In Acts 20, Paul calls the elders to come down from Ephesus. Then he says to them in verse 28 that God has made them overseers or bishops among the flock. There's that that poimen word again. So all three of these are really coming together. So we observe the elders and bishops and overseers in the church at Ephesus. Look at letter C. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, if anyone aspires to the office of bishop or overseer, he desires a noble task. Then he gives the qualifications for the overseer bishop in verses 2 through 3. Unlike the deacons and overseer, he must be able, an overseer must be able to teach. Underline that in your outline. The overseer must be able to teach. And in verse 5, he has said to be one who man, whose management of his own household fits him into care of God's church. Thus, two functions are described to elders in 1 Timothy 5, 7, 5, 17, teaching and governing. And um, we're going we're gonna to keep going here in letter D. You see more examples of that. Letter E, you see more examples of the interwoven nature of all of these terms. Now, number four, biblical guidance for the functions of pastors and elders. What are pastors and elders supposed to do? Letter A, prayer in the ministry of the Word. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, at the beginning of the church, the establishment of the church um, in the New Testament era, it's very, very clear immediately that they say we should not be being distracted from the most important thing of prayer for the church and ministry of the word. Let letter B, managing the church. First Timothy chapter three, verse four through five talks about ruling over or managing the church, not in an autocratic way, not in a, in a way that in any way um, demeans others, but manages and holds together the organizational structure of the church. Let her see. Leading and overseeing the church. First Timothy 5:17. Look that one up. In First Peter 5, 2 through 5, we see that caring for people in the church. Pastors are to care for the people of the church. Letter E, giving account to God. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 70, or chapter 13, verse 17, we are going to, it says very clearly that pastors or elders take care of the church as those who are going to give an account to God. And in fact, every teacher, the scripture says, is going to endure a stricter judgment. And let me tell you that that weighs heavy on my heart. That is a very sobering reality for me as a pastor, that I'm going to have a stricter judgment because of the role that God has called me to fulfill. So I I must be careful in this, and every pastor must be careful in this. Every teacher must be careful in this. Look at letter F. We're called to be an example. We also see that in Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Letter G. Preaching and teaching is very much a part of who we are. James chapter 5, we've already read it, praying for the sick. 
Letter I, refuting false doc- teaching and doctrine. We see that not only in Titus 1.9, but in numerous other places in the New Testament, that one of the chief roles of a pastor is to refute uh, incorrect teaching and um, false doctrine. Look at letter J. We also see in Acts 20 that we are called to protect the church from false teachers. And so that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd feeds, a shepherd cares, a shepherd protects. You remember with me the stories of David from the Old Testament, how David, when he was young, he had a staff, but he not only had a staff, what else did he have? He had a slingshot. I have to just tell you, one time when Pastor Billingsley and Joe Helms were here doing chapel for the Sheridan Hills Christian School, there was two or three hundred kids sitting here, and Pastor Bill and Joe Helms, the music minister at the time, was here. They would sometimes do chapel together. And so Pastor Billingsley said, and you have to know Pastor Billingsley, I mean, he was, he called himself a hillbilly. He was from North Carolina, but he had just, he had lived here for so many years. Well, they were talking about David and Goliath, and they were talking about David being a shepherd and how God used David's skills as a shepherd of fending off animals in the grand process of, of protecting um, uh, and working for the nation of Israel. And so Pastor Billingsley was standing right over here, and Joe was standing right over here, and Pastor, Pastor Billingsley was David, and Joe was Goliath, and he had a, a uh, slingshot with a ping-pong ball in it. Now he said, I know I'm not going to hit you, but the kids will get the idea of the whole thing. So he wound up the slingshot and let it go, and the ping-pong ball hit Joe (laughs) Helms right between the eyes. In an utter astonishment, he fell down acting very well. So, um, you know, a pastor is a shepherd, and a shepherd is called to protect the sheep. And whether it's with a slingshot, or whether it's with a staff, or whether it's with a conversation, or whether it's with whatever means necessary, there are people who are going to sometimes come into the life of the church to destroy the church. There are people that are going to come in and seek to divide the church. There are people that are going to come in and seek to lead people away from the truth in the church. And that's part of the role of a pastor. Um, and for all of the elders of the church, the elders, bishops, overseers, pastors. So two major roles that we boil it down to. Number one is governing. We see this issue of governing. Um, This is leading. This is guiding. This is governing. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Let the elders who rule, very important word that is there, he actually uses the word rule Look what it says, be considered well, let those who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. There's a comparison made, and for you to be able to evaluate whether somebody ought to be a pastor. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he, underline this part, how can he care for God's church? 
Um, you see, so this is a, this idea of management, and the idea is not only managing your own house, but managing the church. So it's an issue of leadership. It's an issue of governance. Look on the next page, page 5. See, we're already at page 5. Acts 20, verse 28, 1 Peter 5, 2. The duty of elders is to oversee or to supervise the flock implies a governing function. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, but we beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labor among you, and then look at this, it says, and are over you. It's that same root word that is there of talking about the management or the care for, responsibility for, in the Lord to admonish you. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, he's saying, Look, don't make it hard on those who are leading you. They're, they're responsible for you. It's an important statement. And we see that again in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey, key word there, look at that. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will, get, who will have to give account. And so there's even this word here, of obey and submit to them. Now there's been many pastors, there's been many leaders, there's been many denominational folks that love that word, that verse, and exploit that verse. And they lord over the people. They say, you're not supposed to argue back, you're just supposed to obey me. Well, how well does that work with your kids all the time? You know, there comes a time when that doesn't work anymore, right? So that's, that's not the picture. The, if a pastor is having to say, you must obey me, well, then he's probably not truly leading, and you're probably not really following in the way that the Lord has laid out. But do you know that there is a great blessing on your life when those whom God has placed over you work with you and share with you what you should do, or they they come and maybe even in a, in a loving way they command you to do something. And when you don't do that, you subject yourself to the reality often of great harm. There are many people who will come and sit down with us as pastors. We will talk about issues in their life. And many of those people will go and they will take this advice. They will take what God's word says. They will take our instructions to them, and they will often find great blessing. And there are some people who will come and sit down with us, they will hear our instructions, and they will completely ignore it to very often their own detriment. Now, we're not right about everything. We're not God. We don't know everything. But we can tell you that we seek to spend time in God's Word so that we might know what He says. And when you bring your life issues to us, we seek to give you the counsel from God's Word so that you might obey it and be blessed. And so it's not always so much that you're obeying Andrew Coleman or Ben Nistor or Jason Hill or Lucas Almeida or one of the other elders of our church, Colvin or or Jim, or Bill, or some of the others. It's not that, that you're seeking to obey us as it is, hopefully, we are saying to you what God says so that you're obeying God. That should be the great book. You see, it's not about us lording over in this verse, but this is an important verse. 
that either is, is often emphasized the wrong way or completely ignored. We want to be very faithful with that verse and to live it out. So the first major role of pastors elders is governing. The second major role is teaching and exhorting. Teaching and exhorting. The word exhorting means to strongly encourage. And that's what pastors are called to do, is to not only teach you what God's Word says, but then to encourage you to do it, to, to seek to um, help motivate you, to seek to encourage you in such a way that you would become obedient. Obedient in this. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And we're going to see in just a minute the shepherds and teachers um, the word and there can also be, it can be the word specifically or in particular, teachers. And so we see that that issue of teaching is so important to the role of a pastor or an elder. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Therefore an overseer, same, same role, same office, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and then notice this, and able to teach. And so that is the defining difference very often when we, when we look at the qualifications for deacons and we look at the qualifications for pastors or elders is that that issue of teaching is one that is a non-negotiable for a pastor. He must be able to teach. Now, he, it's not that he must be able to be a public speaker. There's some people who are a public speaker that are not a teacher. There's some people who are very eloquent who are not a teacher. How do you know if somebody has the gift of teaching? How do you know if somebody has the gift of teaching? That people are learning. I mean, if people aren't learning anything, guess what? He's not a teacher. I mean, if, if Miss Tedford's children in her class are learning something, then that's because she's gifted in teaching them. And there's some people that are good at other things, but they're not a teacher. Well, a pastor must be a teacher. Why? Because we have to learn this. We have to learn this. This, this is the glorious, eternal Word of God that will save you from hell and make the world that is crazy and often painful make sense. So that one day when you finally close your eyes and you wake up in heaven, it will all be worthwhile. A, a pastor has to be able to help teach you this. And so that's a key portion of this, teaching and exhorting, we see in 1 Timothy 3, 2, able to teach. Look at the next one, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule, rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in what? Preacher, preaching and teaching. Now, notice that word labor. That is a key word because some of you think, oh yeah, you're just a preacher. You don't do anything. I mean, you just stand up there and talk. I mean, what, what's the deal with that? I remember when I was a young church planter. We had planted a church in St. Augustine. 
I came out the door after an especially difficult week of just, you know, we're, we're working day in and day out. Marcy was right by my side, and there was a couple of laymen in the praise God for Jim Hale and Danny Hutto and a couple of other guys who came alongside this 25-year-old church planner, and they were just lending their help and their aid. And, um, you know, every week was just something new. It was just so difficult to start a church, to, to get people to come, and all of the prayer and all of the things, especially with being young and ignorant um, so much. And I just remember standing there one day as, as the service was over and people were leaving, and I was standing at the back door greeting people. And this, this one lady just said to me, she said, Pastor, um, I know you do this on Sundays. What, do you do? What, what kind of work do you do during the week? <laughs> the only thing I do not sleep anything. I just held my tongue. And I mean, she didn't know. You know, people don't realize what all is involved. And they don't realize what all, because when you're counseling and when you're, you're thinking about the life of the church and then when you're preparing the message from God's Word, it's not merely regurgitating what God's Word says, but it is also in prayer asking the Holy Spirit to help us know what is your word from this text for our church this Sunday? What does Alex Torres need to hear? What, what does each one of us need to hear as we come? And, you know, there's no way possible for one human being to look at 600 people and know exactly um, how to speak to everyone. But what's amazing is that God, in his great, infinite wisdom, causes his word to come alive with the preaching. When we stick close to the scripture and say what the scripture says, God is working. Well, that is a labor of love along with everything else, those who labor in preaching and teaching. Look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. He must hold firm to the sure word as taught so that he may be able to do what? Give instruction in sound doctrine and also, read it out loud together, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So the job of the pastor in teaching and exhorting is to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Four conclusions in this. Number one, the New Testament pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, all refer to the same office. Number two, Paul's mission in church planning and writing included the preparation and appointment of these leaders in all the churches. I want you to think about this. There are whole letters of the New Testament that are written to leading pastors. You see, Paul was writing First and Second Timothy. Who was that written to? Timothy. First and Second Timothy was written to Timothy. What was Timothy? He was a young pastor. We see that individuals are being written to in this way in a rather extensive manner and certain sections that are devoted to that. We do see letters are written that are much smaller written to other servants in the life of the church or um, in, in sections of those written to them. But for the most part, Paul's mission is aimed at these pastors in order to guide the churches. Number three, the Bible always speaks of a plurality, very important. 
The Bible always speaks of a plurality of pastors, elders, overseers that are given the role of governing and teaching the church. I believe that there's really never supposed to be just one pastor. I believe that there is to be a plurality of pastors. There's not to be just one elder. There's to be a plurality of them. Now, when you're first starting off, it's kind of hard. But as I said, I believe in healthy churches where God is moving, He immediately brings multiple people who are qualified to help lead. If we'll pray, if we'll listen, if we will, if we will be diligent, immediately there can be people who come and help. And I've experienced that in my own life, both here in America, and I've experienced it overseas, where we are planting a church, we're doing new work, and it's just amazing. The work may be very small, but God brings multiple people to come be able to help with that. The singular potentate pastor, I believe, is not a biblical structure or formula. Notice this, number three, the Bible always speaks of a plurality. Letter four, or number four, God always meant for a team of men to lead his church. And the church means the ecclesia or the called out one. So it's a team. So, well, let's look at the further team, the wider team. There's a wider team that goes beyond the elders, or the pastors, or the bishops, the, the overseers. There's a wider team. So notice this, number one, now we're going to look at deacons, the guidance concerning deacons. Deacons and pastors, elders, overseers, are the two distinct offices in the New Testament church. Letter A, two New Testament offices are only mentioned together twice. Philippians 1.1, where it talks about pastors and deacons, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, where the qualifications are given for pastors and for deacons. So, notice the next point. In 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications are spelled out for overseers, verses 1 through 7, and deacons in verses 8 through 13. So that's where you find the qualifications. The qualifications are very similar. Expect that the pastor elder must be able to accurately and effectively what? Teach the Word of God. So the qualifications for the pastors and the deacons are very, very similar. We see a lot of things that are the same. But then that key defining difference is the ability to teach. Letter B, pastors and elders are not deacons, and deacons are not pastors and elders. Now, there may be some uh, deacons who teach, they're gifted with teaching, but they may not be recognized as pastors, and that, that's okay. There may be other things that they're gifted with and other things that they do. And there may be some pastors, um, I, I, I say it kind of goes one way, but not so much the other way. I believe that every pastor and elder is called to be a servant. It is called to be involved in serving and caring for the life of the church. We see that in all of the examples of Scripture that we've already gone over. But, but they're not necessarily just the same thing. Notice number two. The word deacon literally means what? Servant. It literally means servant. So, uh, decaneo and its derivatives, as their entomology suggests, are, mainly, are used mainly for personal help to others. You go back, you study the word. That's what etymology is. The entomology, when you look at the entomology of the word, you're looking at what it means. And it has to do with help for others. Dekania, as you see there, is found 34 times, and it means service at the table. So we're talking a waiter. 
A servant that serves the table. Under that, you see where it says Luke chapter 10, verse 40? Write the word Martha. Because that's exactly the passage that is talking about this service, where Martha was worried about preparing the meal while Mary was sitting where? At the feet of Jesus. And Martha was a little upset. She's like, Jesus, aren't you going to tell my sister to do this? Isn't that so funny? I mean, the Bible's so real. Um, and I just love it. You know, there's usually one sitting around, oh, this is all great, and somebody else is over there doing all the work. Um, but, you know, Luke chapter 10, verse 40, we, we see this being played out with this very word. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, which we're about to read, is where the, the whole thing began of deacons in the, as an office in the church. Um, and then dekinos is found 29 times in the New Testament, and primarily meaning one who serves at tables, so very similar. So if you look up in a Bible dictionary, um, the Holman Bible dictionary, this is just the uh, little article underneath that. Look what it says. In Philippians 1.1 and in numerous references in early Christian literature outside the New Testament, overseers and or elders and deacons are mentioned together, with deacon always mentioned last. Because of this order and because of the natural connotations of the word dekinos, most interpreters believe that deacons from the beginning served as, underlined it, as served as assistants of church leaders. That's what we see in the New Testament, that they are assisting the church leaders. So let's see where it comes from. Look at number three on page seven. Deacons are intended, deacons are intended by God to be, fill this in, an extension of the ministry of the pastors and elders in greater care of the needs of the flock. And so this is, this is the way Jesus has set it up for the life of the church, that they would be an extension of that ministry, just like those pastors and elders are an extension of whose ministry? The Lord Jesus himself. So he is the great shepherd, and he has shepherds that he employs under shepherds that he employs and so those under shepherds also need help and those that is where we see deacons now look with me in acts chapter six and um, i want you to notice this this is where it all comes from acts chapter six account is quite clear on the founding of the deaconship and nowhere does scripture repeal this original purpose look what it says in verse one now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint by the hellenists those were the uh, Greek-speaking Jewish believers. The complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. This is the daily distribution of food. Food was scarce. Food would come in. The church was organizing to help feed people in the church. And the Greek Jewish people were complaining that their widows were being ignored because the Jewish um, Jewish people, the, the Hebrews, were getting the food. Look at verse 2. And the twelve, that's the apostles, and the twelve summoned the full number of the, of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. You see, they had a priority that they had to hold on to. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint for this duty. Circle the word duty. That is the idea of the word of need. 
This is a need that needs to be fulfilled. It's a need in the church. It's a task to be done. But it comes from the Greek word need. Look at verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So there again you see it. The pastors are to continue with prayer and ministry of the word. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from, uh, or of Antioch. Look at verse 6. And they set before them the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. So these are the first deacons. So here we see at the time they needed seven deacons in that body. And they, it's very interesting. All of them were Greek names so that the Greeks were able to go and take care of the Greek widows in a way. They were, they were just bending over backwards to be accommodating to that. So fill this in. The deacons are servants and helpers who assist the pastors and elders in the meeting, in meeting the needs of the church. There, there's that word, needs, the duties of the church. Number four, the early deacons were selected for their spiritual qualifications. It was very important, their spiritual qualifications. First Timothy chapter 3 is another place where it comes up and expounds the qualifications of the core of the deacons. That the late, excuse me, the latter contains what would clearly be fairly called the core of the qualifications. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is an important passage. Here's the qualifications for the deacons. Look at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, and by the way, that likewise means because the elders' qualifications were given before this. So deacons are similar to that. So deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued not addicted to much wine. So they're respectable. They don't have a loose tongue. They don't say two different things depending on who they're talking to. They're not, they're not alcoholics or addicts. They're not controlled by something else. Look at this. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. So they're not crooks. They're not shysters. Look at verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So what the world doesn't understand and what we understand and hear of the true gospel, they must hold on to that. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So they're not, they're, they're, they're clearly a believer in Jesus. Look at verse 10. And let them be tested first. Now, that's what we do in the life of our church. We look and we watch men and women, their families, um, and we kind of see uh, their lives for a little while. And then we maybe invite them to become perhaps deacons in training, see how that goes, see, see what's happening there for a while, see if they're faithful in that. And so let them be tested first. Then let them serve as what? As deacons, let them serve as deacons. And then look at this, if they prove themselves blameless. Now, blameless here does not mean sinless, but it means that a case cannot be brought up against them of a grave error or a grave um, sin that has a bad reputation with it. So um, 
And that word if there is important, if they prove themselves blameless. You see, they serve as deacons if they continue to act like that. Because that's what it says. Look at the verse. It says, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So it's not like, guys, that the, it's recognized that um, we see this calling in you and you're qualified now. And once you're in, okay, now I can do whatever I want. I'm a deacon. How ridiculous, right? No, you continue to live this way. Um, I'm so blessed by Colvin's testimony about this. He said, if Pastor Billingsley comes over here and asks me to become a deacon, I'm going to say no. Pastor Billingsley showed up and asked him to be a deacon, and he said yes. <laughs> and, but, but Colvin, your testimony has been said, you said, I didn't feel like I measured up, and I knew I didn't in many ways. I knew in my heart that there were things that I said, there were things in, in my values, there were things in my business that weren't worthy of that role. In Colvin's testimony is God was using the deaconship in his life, in his sanctification process. God was using the responsibility to help some of those things drop off. God was using the conviction of that to make him into a more faithful man of God. And we see that in this passage. I want you to see that in this passage. Look what it says there. In verse 11, it goes on to say, their wives, so we recognize wives in this, in this mix, this is such an important part of any deacon's life. Um, you're nowhere if you don't have his wife on board. And, but she has, she has qualifications too. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Wow, those are, those are serious qualifications. Look at verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. That means he's not a womanizer. He doesn't go from woman to woman to woman. Uh, you know, the whole issue of ladies are just not on his mind. He doesn't have eyes for women. He has eyes for one woman. So you, you can't have a deacon who, who has ulterior motives concerning his sexuality. Cannot have that. That brings great shame upon the church and upon the ministry of the church. So these guys have to be guys that are a one-woman man. In mind, in heart, in presence, in every way. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. We saw that earlier. Verse 13, look at this. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now that is not a prideful statement. That is not a statement about position of over other people in a prideful way. What that is saying is, is that for some who God is leading in this path, the deaconship is going to help them become more who Jesus has called them to be. And the deaconship is going to actually assist their walk with the Lord. Very quickly. Look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 3. 
This is when they were calling those deacons out. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men, and look at the qualifications, of good repute. That means that they have a good reputation. And they're full of the Spirit. That means they're spiritual men. They're, they're godly men. And of wisdom. That means they're not fools being duped by the world, run around from thing to thing, banging themselves up on the hardships of life or banging others up on the hardship of life in, in all of the foolishness of the... No, they're full of the Spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty or to this need. Number five, deacons are never presented in Scripture as a check or balance of power against the pastors or elders as is sometimes seen in some Baptist churches. Baptist churches have fallen prey to this, that the idea of American government of checks and balances is here, and that's what deacons are, to keep the pastor in check and, and somehow to limit him, limit them. Now, that often comes into play when there's not a proper eldership, when there's not a proper plurality of pastors, and there, there's a need of somehow um, doing that, but we, we, we're going to see here in just a minute that actually functions, functions a different way. We're not supposed to lay American democratic civics on top of the church of Jesus Christ. What we need to do is read the Bible and do it the way the, the Lord says to do it. Deacons are never presented in Scripture as a check or balance of power. You see, the pastor's elders answer to one, each other. They answer to the congregation, and they answer to the Lord all of the time. That is what pastors are to answer to, one another, the, the pastor. Now, that doesn't mean, when we say the congregation, that means our lives are before every one of you. And the Bible even says that you can come and you can bring an accusation against a pastor. You just have to do it the right way. It has to be done the right way. We're not going to go into all of that right now. It has to do with the witnesses that are involved. It has to do with in the presence of others in a proper way. So it's not that pastors are not accountable. They are accountable, but it's not to a board of deacons as if that is supposed to balance it out in the life of the church. That brings about an unhealthy dynamic that has caused many churches to become carnal and many, many churches to go away from what God has called us to do. Look at number six. Deacons are to be capable of serving the Lord in spiritual ways. You know, of those seven deacons that were mentioned, you see here that, that serve the Lord. Um, there's other ones that did different things. Stephen was full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So deacons serve spiritually. Look at this, the bottom one. Philip was not only a deacon, but was also gifted in evangelism. Philip was an evangelist, as well as a deacon serving in the life of the church. Many of our deacons have multiple talents. Um, and excuse me, yes, talents, but giftings in how they are used by the Lord. Look at number seven. The office of deacon requires a firm grasp of sound doctrine. A deacon must be someone who is learning the Word of God, and his doctrine is correct. Notice this. A church is content-oriented. It is a doctrinally driven community built upon God's truth. Every member should have this approach in their fellowship. Leaders such as deacons, not less but more so. So every member should have sound doctrine, and certainly we would say 
that deacons should have sound doctrine. Notice this, number eight. The presence of deacons should advance the unity of the church. Um, I'm just going to say that one of the great roles of deacons is peacemaking. And you can flip the sheet and see that at the top of page nine. Deacons are peacemakers. That's what they were doing when they were waiting tables in Acts chapter 6. There was a flap in the church over widows getting ignored, and the deacons were established to help things go smoothly. And that's what deacons do. The pastors can't be everywhere at once. That's why we need more deacons in order to help the needs of the congregation to be met. Notice number nine, the presence of deacons should advance the mission of the church. And this is important, and we see it there in Acts chapter 8. Notice this, and notice the statement that's underneath here, underneath number nine. The immediate impact of the creation of the office of deacon was to eliminate the controversy in the church and get the church back on course, underline it, in fulfilling its mission. And notice what happened in the very next verses. The Bible says that, and this is just after they appointed those deacons. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What priests? The Jewish priests that had opposed them. This is amazing. This is a miraculous thing. When the church got organized correctly and the apostles were able to do what they're supposed to do and the deacons are helping care for the church and the church is loving one another, the church is functioning together, the church is caring for one another, what happens? All these people start getting saved. I mean, imagine that, guys. If we all work together and do what God has called us to do, and all of you respond to that, and some of you over the years to come, some of you step forward and say, yes, me and my wife, we're called to serve and to love for the care of the church. There's no telling what all God will do. This is part of the great encouragement. So notice this. Again, it is still true. When a church has deacons who are in God's will, the cause of world evangelization will move forward. Amen? That's a great thing. Summary of the New Testament church leadership. I just I want to boil down everything we've said to these three things. Number one, two offices of the church have a plurality, circle that word, plurality of pastors and elders and a plurality of deacons. Um, number two, in accordance with the meaning of the words and the practice of the New Testament, pastors and elders are charged to, let's read this out loud together, pastors and elders are charged to lead, care, manage, and shepherd the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. So, That's their job. So the key word for the pastor elder is what? Shepherd. Fill that in. Shepherd. And then look at number three. Let's talk about deacons. In accordance with the meaning of the word deacon, actually what it means, and the practice of the New Testament, deacons are to be helpers of the pastors and elders and servants of the church. So the key word for deacon is servant. Dekinos. Servant. So I want you to know, what do we expect from our deacons? As a church member, you ought to know 
what to expect from our deacons, and our deacons ought to know what is expected from them. And so here we are. Number one, we expect that you will serve and help lead the body of Christ, men and women. Letter A, by personal example in Christ-honoring character. That's the first way that you lead the Bible, uh, excuse me, the first way you lead the church is by an exemplary life, by an example of Christ-honoring character. We need you to be holy more than we need you to be anything else. Letter B, you're going to serve and help lead by personal example in involvement. That means you're going to be here. That means you're going to be in worship and you're going to be here in, in events. I don't know, I mean, in churches that are really unhealthy, have you ever heard of deacons that say, oh yeah, I'm a deacon, but I haven't been there in two years. You're no deacon. You may be a cultural deacon, but you're not a biblical deacon. And your church is biblically unhealthy. I mean, there, there are some churches, if all the deacons showed up, people would have heart attacks. I mean, they, they would be shocked. That's not... That's cultural Christianity. That is not biblical Christianity. I mean, there's a, there's a very great difference in being serious about what God has said. So uh, our deacons are here, and they're involved. Let her see. They serve and lead by taking responsibility for logistical needs, for services and ministry. They, they're involved with the logistics of us coming together. This morning, many of these men that are sitting here in front of us right now have been all over the campus, everything from picking up trash to turning on air conditioners to opening doors to making sure security is taken care of to various, and some of them are even outside right now, making sure that things are taken care of so that we can be here to worship together. This doesn't just happen automatically. There's a lot that has to be done, and even through the week. Notice the next one here. They lead by caring for church members who are sick or in need. So they care for church members. They reach out. They care for their needs. And letter F, by helping facilitate community groups. Why do we say that? Because community groups are one of the key ways in which our church seeks to care for one another. And we need help in leading them, and that is part of what deacons do. They help lead community groups. Um, and so the pastors are overseeing that. That's what pastors are. They're overseers. And the deacons are the servants helping pull that together and make sure that it happens. So this is what you can expect in the way that they serve. Expectations for deacon service. Letter A, this is what we expect, that you truly love the church as the bride of Christ in your spiritual family. No deacon should ever be a deacon if he does not, if she does not love the church. This is a key portion um, of our calling. Letter B, that you faithfully attend worship. We just kind of mentioned that. Your absence is a rarity. Letter C, that you give financially. That's consistently Generos generously, sacrificially, cheerfully. You know, show me a deacon that doesn't give, and I will show you a deacon that's really not committed. Um, Jesus said, You're, you know, if you want to know where a man's heart is, look at where his treasure is. And so our deacons give. They give sacrificially. It's a big part of their life. 
Letter D, you take responsibility for support tasks that need to be done. Uh, just a moment ago, watch one of our deacons walk in, and he is in, he's, he's in charge of a, of a responsibility that's very important in the life of the church. Um, we take responsibilities. This is part of what they do. Look at the next part here. Letter E, you help community groups succeed in caring for the flock. Just mentioned that in the above function. Look at letter F. You often visit people at home or in the hospital. That's what deacons do. There's no way that the pastors can get to everybody in time all the, all the time. There's many, many times when the church is learning to minister to one another. And so when a deacon shows up, you know, I've, in fact, some of our deacons are, are so faithful and so beautiful in that that I show up and they're like, oh, yeah, Andrew came by. But let me tell you what. Jeff came by, and he, and that's really how it ought to be, um, that our deacons are truly caring for our community and, and through the needs. Look at letter G. Sometimes deacons help with occasional benevolence needs. Um, deacons can go out and figure out what the deal is, sit down and talk with somebody and find out what their needs are. Somebody comes to us with a need. And the deacons are wise to be able to deal with that and to, to, deal, to um, deal with that in an effective way to find out, is this really a need? And if it is, how can we best help and not hurt? Letter H, we expect you to maturely and diligently protect the unity of the body. You see, a deacon, you know, some people run around and they recognize that they either have a bucket of gasoline or they have a bucket of water. And they come up on a little fire and you can do one of two things, right? If you, if you, my brother did an illustration like that a few years ago at New Life, and there were people who really thought there was a candle that was down there, and they really thought there was gasoline in the bucket. And when he picked up the bucket, a bunch of people started getting up and running away. <laughs> I, I don't know what made them think he would have a gasoline, a bucket of gasoline, but you know, the, the, you could see in your mind the danger of that. Well, that danger is very real for this church. Deacons are involved, and they do hear things. And when somebody is upset with somebody else or with the church or something else, and there's trouble, a deacon is supposed to go and be a peacemaker. And I don't mean a placator. I mean somebody who solves a problem, somebody who knows wisely how to protect the body of Christ. That's a very important role of deacons. Letter I, you must and assist, oh, excuse me, you attend and assist with church-wide events. So when we're doing something all as a church, our deacons are there to help with that. And then look at the last one. You meet monthly to learn, pray, and organize for ministry to the church family or to the flock. Um, so these are very clearly, everybody here in the room, everybody part of the church can recognize this is what we expect of our deacons. I want us to close before we pray for these new deacons that are um, going from deacon in training to becoming deacons themselves this morning. I want us to recognize this. Look at this in bo the bottom line. We believe that God is raising up men and their wives who will love and care for his church. These couples see Christ's family as a major part of their everyday lives. 
They want Christ's church to thrive, so they willingly support it with their time, their money, and prayer. They are the type of people who serve others willingly, gladly, and eagerly. They see the spiritual importance of doing so in the context of Christ's body, all for His glory and not their own. And I just want to say that as a pastor, I am deeply moved by the people that God has given us as other pastors, as other elders, and I'm deeply moved by the people that God has given as deacons. It is just amazing when Miguel Morgado hears of a need and he's on it to go solve someone's hurt and someone's problem at their house. It's a great blessing to me when Jeffrey Hoppert is organizing a way to cover a roof that's in trouble. It's a great blessing to me when I, I just see across the room that Patrick Lacuti or Victor or any of these men and women, when Meg Cutraside is concerned about the people that they hear are hurting in the life of our church as they teach, as they care, as they correct, as they come and they minister. You see, these deacons, they sincerely desire to hear, well done, my good and faithful what? Servant. Now, the greatest servant of all, the Lord Jesus, said those words, that he has called us to be a servant like him. He has called us to serve others like him. And I hope and pray that as we continue to rejoice in these, that God would do a great work at our church, making it a healthy church.